Hello everyone, welcome back to Babylon 5 versus DS9, the galaxy's greatest podcast about the two great 90s space station shows. This is Bob from Cascadia, I got Matt from the Southland on the line. How you doing tonight, Matt? I'm doing alright. Sad note here, yesterday we actually lost Kai Opaka, the actress Camille Saviola, passed away at the age of 71. You will be missed, Kai Opaka. R.I.P. to a real one. So, uh, you want to walk us through the uh, A-plot and the Friends pitch of old uh, Race Through Dark Places, Matt? Sure. This is the uh, one with the psychic underground railroad. This is Bester, in his second appearance, returns to Babylon 5 to run a parallel hunt with Garibaldi for the telepath underground railroad that is being run through Babylon 5. Indeed, indeed. And then in the B-plot, we have Delenn asking Sheridan out for dinner. And we have Vester in Walter Cohen's most suave and William Shatner-ish impression asking winners out for breakfast. You got a lot of coupling up here, don't we, Bob? It's uh, hot and heavy on the old B5 station, Matt. Hot and heavy. Yeah. C-plot of this episode, Sheridan forces Ivanova to go on a rent strike with him against Earth government's attempt to charge them rent for the surplus space in their quarters. Outrageous, outrageous. Although, I did have some second thoughts about my description, Matt. I realized I, I debatably made an error from Sheridan's point of view, because I think traditionally a rent strike would be understood when, you know, you have a rental relationship with someone and then you withhold that rent. That would be a rent strike. Sheridan would argue that this couldn't be a rent strike because he had no rental relationship with EarthGov, and he is protesting the attempt to impose rent on him, not an already existing rental relationship. Sheridan wants to live for free on his space station. <laughs> oh, man. In the in the last uh, kind of telepath-focused episode, episode six of Babylon 5 season one, did we actually see Winters have telekinesis thanks to Jason Ironheart at the end of that episode? I think so. I think it was implied she had a tiny bit. Like, she's able to, like, move a penny. In this episode, she's actually able to take the penny and, like, fling it into the wall. She, she's been working out, man. She's been going to that uh, telekinetic gym. She's been getting swole. She's been getting ripped. She's been really doing a kind of ungodly amount of mental creatine. Yeah, she's got it going on. She's going to be able to, like, fling the whole space station before it's over with. Yeah. No, so it's, it's a good sequel to that um, episode six of Babylon 5 season one, right? Which is, a, which is one of my favorite episodes of the first season. And it's a good way to keep winners relevant because something's got to be going on with her. Yeah, I mean, God knows it's better than Garibaldi creeping on her. It's true. So was this the first time we'd heard the phrase, the core is mother, the core is father? Uh, yeah, it's the first time we've heard it on the actual episode. It wasn't the comic we covered. Oh, okay, I'd forgotten about it in the comic, but yeah, I thought it was the first time we'd heard it on air. Yeah, that'll kind of be a psychor catchphrase as we keep going. Let's get to the big bulk of this, Bob. We're talking about the Underground Railroad here. When you were a kid in elementary school, what did you picture when you heard the term Underground Railroad? Well, Matt, I was a profoundly stupid child, as you no doubt remember. And uh, I can always tell my uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe story to back up what a stupid child I was. But yeah, when we talked about the Underground Railroad, and I want to say we talked about it in fourth grade, which was the grade we met, I always pictured that like the runaway slaves and the conductors on the Underground Railroad and the abolitionists had dug like vast underground tunnels and were running like a railroad through them. So yeah, I, I really literalized the metaphor in a way that uh, yeah, it really made me like 
actually understanding what the experience of escaping from uh, chattel slavery in the American South was like, uh, that really impaired it for years, I would say. Yeah, it still is built into my brain. Like, when I hear Underground Railroad, I immediately think of slaves running through, like, abandoned subway stations. That's the picture I get. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of interesting. It was a term in use at the time. It just took on such a different connotation with, like, the advent of subways and, you know, light rails and such that, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of interesting. Have you ever heard of uh, Colson Whitehead's pretty recent novel, The Underground Railroad? Uh, I have not. It apparently literalizes the metaphor, and it's kind of like an alternate history science fiction novel where you have slaves using an actual underground railroad to escape i kind of wonder if colson whitehead had the same experience we did as like a you know like a, a young gen xer or an old millennial like in elementary school being you know kind of ineptly taught the history of the underground railroad and picturing that i don't i don't know yeah that would be like fascinating to read like a literal interpretation of the underground railroad. <laughs> like i can yeah. imagine them building like like makeshift trains running underground one of my favorite uh, mid-century black writers ishmael reed also has a book called Flight to Canada that do, I don't think it does literalizes it quite as narrowly as Whitehead. But from what I understand about Flight to Canada, it's also kind of like a sort of wild kind of postmodern narrative where like slaves or runaway slaves are like using modern technology to escape. So I need to read that too. I really like Ishmael Reed's other books like Mumbo Jumbo and Yellowback Radio Broke Down, a really great 60s novel. So I need to pick up Flight to Canada. One thing about this episode is that Garibaldi is actually suspicious that Ivanova is running the Underground Railroad. Did this uh, satisfy you, Matt? Did uh, it scratch your uh, feeling that uh, Ivanova was a traitor? It did. It gave me a chance to put another push pin on my board. But I mean, it proves that she's not running the Underground Railroad, Matt. No, Bob, but it Here's the thing, though, okay? We find out Dr. Franklin is actually running the Underground Railroad, but there is no way Dr. Franklin is doing all the medical stuff he's supposed to be doing on the station, running his underground clinic for the, the poor people in, down below, and also helping these uh, telepaths make their way to a better life. There's no way he's doing all three of those. Ivana's oh, there, involved. there is a way, Matt. There is a way, and a later plot line in this show will explain the way. Is he cloned? There's you're than... not totally wrong. Oh my god! So, there, so what you're telling me is eventually there may be more than one Franklin, which no. is like sounds awful. I mean, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't get enough time as like one Franklin. So maybe you need two oh or three god. or four Franklins. No, I'm just saying, Ivana. But also, Ivanova <laughs> never sleeps either, so it makes sense for her. She always like wakes up like groggy. That's because she's too busy doing all this other stuff. Okay, I, I thought your theory was that she never, Ivanova never sleeps well in the station because she's just racked by guilt about being a traitor. Well, no, no, I'm saying she's she's running this this railroad at night when she's supposed to be sleeping. So, I would be really curious if we remember when we get to the reason that Dr. Franklin is able to run the Underground Railroad, run the clinic in Down Below, and perform his very demanding normal duties. When we get to that reason, and if we remember this conversation, I would be very interested to know if you find the actual reason or the clone reason better. Is he an android? I'm just saying, wait till we get there. Wait till we get there. <laughs> so is it just me or is it kind of like not great to name something on your show after the Underground Railroad? You know, one of the great one of the great strides for American freedom in uh, the 19th century. 
and then to you know use that name for something in your show and then have two of your main characters be opposed to the underground railroad and actively hunting it down it just it just seems like it's not a great choice to make garibaldi or sinclair look good yeah it seems kind of racist <laughs> yeah yeah i just I, I mean maybe don't have your characters pull the i was just following orders in trying to shut down an underground railroad getting people to freedom thing it just doesn't seem like the way to go you're not going to win on that side of babylon 5 history nope, nope well i mean we we can all hope that garibaldi just won't win in general yeah, and so another thing that, uh, you know, in dealing with the telepaths, we've already talked about how Winners has these telekinetic abilities, but on top of that, at the end, we found out that if they all, all these telepaths link together and hold hands and have this big, like, kumbaya type thing, that they're able to trick Bester into believing that they were all dead. So that apparently their powers can all, like, come together and, like, change someone's memory. You know what I have to say to that, Matt? We are the world. We are the children. <laughs> that's exactly what I pictured when I saw them standing that way. Like, that's exactly what it looked like. Yeah, JMS is kind of big on that, like, kind of, like, 90s, like, group energy, right? Like, he sort of does that a little bit in, I think, Parliament of Dreams is a season one episode where you, like, line up all the Earth's religious leaders and, you know, there's a kind of wholesome message about cooperation, and you'll see it a little bit. Um, have, you haven't seen any of Sense Eight on Netflix, right? No, I haven't. I think that's unless I'm forgetting something. That's the only non-Babylon Five show JMS has been deeply involved in uh, since Babylon Five, and it's basically about a group of people all around the world, all developing telepathic powers and kind of evolving into like a group mind together. And I don't know, some people don't like it. I, I kind of enjoyed it, especially because it's kind of a cool way to do a lot of different genres. Because you have like a Korean character who's kind of like in a Korean soap opera. And then you have like a Mexican actor who kind of lets you tell stories that are kind of like a Mexican telenovela. And then just sort of on and on like that. You've got like, I think, eight different characters and they all kind of inhabit a different genre space. It's kind of a clever idea, but they're kind of slowly evolving together into this group organism. Okay. I'm going to have to give it a try. I just, yeah, he does have that kind of like, let's all get together. They did the same thing too, like when they all like lasered that alien not too long ago. Oh, yeah. They all, yeah. It's, it's almost like a Power Rangers thing. Like they come together and like defeat the enemy. Yeah, Power Rangers or Sailor Moon maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, my question is like, did that just wipe Bester's mind of what happened or did he like, is he really going to believe they're all dead when he gets back to Mars or wherever the Psycor places? It's been a while since I've seen the episode now, but my take was the latter that he's just going to remember having killed them and reported as that. And that'll be the end of it. Okay. Well, that's, that's pretty, that's a pretty powerful ability to have. Yeah, yeah, because Bester's uh, no, Bester's no slouch in the tel telepathy department himself. Nope. All right. So, All anything right. else about this episode that we uh, when you talk about? We'll uh, we'll cover the most important plot in uh, Econ Watch. So I think we can keep going. All right. So we've got uh, the Defiant episode of DS Nine. I kind of calling it Defiant's a kind of weird choice in a certain way, but whatever. So we have in the A-plot, Will Riker showing up on DS9, and we see that he has much history with Dax and O'Brien, and he has much sexual tension with Kira, and it's all delightful. But it's then revealed that it's actually not Will Riker, but his transporter clone, Tom Riker, uh, who you may remember from the Next Generation episode, Second Chances. And Tom has decided to defect to the Maquis and hijack the Defiant to do it. 
Tom Riker. This is that one. The one with Tom Riker. The one with Tom Riker. I was all excited when like Will Riker shows up at the beginning because I was like, oh, this is going to be kind of cool. Will Riker. We had Picard in the first season. Now we got Will Riker. Nope. It was Tom. Yeah. I will say that uh, the end of the cold open where, uh, you know, you think Will, actually Tom Riker, emerges to uh, Mac on Kira. That's a great Star Trek moment right there. That's uh, one of my favorites. It really is. It's pretty cool. And speaking of too many Rikers, did you get vibes? Do you remember that episode of The Next Gen? I think it was called Parallels, where you see like hundreds of alternate universe enterprises. Yeah, and he looks just like the one. Yeah, he looks just like Riker from that. They got the same crazy face. Yeah, there's like one Riker from like a universe where like the Borg are like winning. And yeah, they get, they get like the same crazy eyes, a little bit crazy beard. Yeah, I guess that's just kind of Jonathan Frakes' crazy expression. But I liked it. In the B-plot, we have Cisco detailing himself to help Dukat and an operative of the Obsidian Order named Koronos to pursue the hijacked Defiant and the kidnapped Kira, who got hijacked along with the Defiant. Yeah, the Maquis want that ship. It's a sleek, nice ship for their armada. They're building yeah. to fight their war. Is it just me, or was this like one of Mark Alamo's great episodes as Ducat? It was a really good episode. I, I, Ducat's just a great character overall. He really is. Between him and the, between him and Garrick, like they're just they're two awesome characters. Even with all the makeup on, you can still see like every expression in their face and just how they just like you they chew the yeah. scenery. I, I hadn't thought it, I hadn't thought about it like that, but yeah, Mark Alamo and Andrew Robinson's abilities to act through all that makeup it's really something. It's just amazing. And I, I think it's especially helped because in this episode, Cisco is kind of having to come hat in hand to Dukat to tell him about the Defiant. Yeah. And so it kind of gave Dukat a real chance to gloat, which is just yeah. very funny. It's like they took my starship. <laughs> we're going to have to get it back. Uh, could you help us? <laughs> oh, man. Not so, any uh, starship, too. Like they it wasn't like they just took a... Uh, yeah, one of, the most one, powerful starship yeah. in the fleet, arguably, equipped yeah. with an illegal Romulan cloaking device. <laughs> yeah. It's great. They didn't just take a runabout. I mean, they took, like, crazy warship. Rikers made guest appearances in, like, several different Trek Basically, series. Basically all of them, right? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, except for... You know, not not for, Discovery, but every, every other show since The Next Generation, we've seen Riker. Yeah, I guess may, probably not Prodigy either, but... Um, I remember him most for his appearance on uh, the Enterprise season finale, which uh, no one ooh, likes, apparently. Ooh. Yeah, it was bad. Dog. It's a dog. Yeah. Yeah. I. So most Enterprise fans don't like it because Riker kind of steals the spotlight from the Enterprise crew in their series finale. I, an intellectual, as someone who doesn't like Enterprise and doesn't care about most of the Enterprise characters, just don't like it because it's not a good episode. It was all a simulation. It indeed it was. Yeah. And then, so you've never seen him on Voyager? Oh, no, no. I've never seen Death Wish. No. Oh, man. It's such a good episode. So he's, like, brought in to testify on a panel to rule on, like, whether or not uh, this other Q, not, not John Delancey Q, but Q2, will be allowed to commit suicide because he's, you know, bored of eternal life. It's a it's a really good episode. And Riker, it's, it's, it's a pretty small role in the episode, but it's a fun little guest appearance. I'm still needing you, Bob, to like give me a list of Voyager episodes I have to watch, like your top ten. 
Oh yeah, yeah. There's no way I'm gonna watch like all the seasons of Voyager. I, I can't do that. Yeah, I can give you I a can... list. I, I think I already made one for my friend Mandy. I can give it to you. Yeah, why don't you post it on Twitter too? That way people can okay. engagement. Yeah, we got to get these people wanting to watch Voyager. <laughs> all right, and then so we've got. I would say the Death Wish um, appearance is my favorite. But I really do enjoy Riker and Troy showing up on lower decks, you know, in the end of season one, and then Riker's, you know, there a little bit in the early season two as well. That's that's a really great appearance. And then, as much as I like Defiant as an episode, I would put that as number three in my Riker appearances. And then uh, number four, I would uh, put um, Riker when he appears on Picard with Troy. And then uh, number five, I would put uh, this Enterprise, the Enterprise series finale. That is not my Riker. <laughs> I mean, it's. I don't think there's any problems with the portrayal of Riker. I just think it's a bad <laughs> episode. <laughs> Do you um, have you seen some of the memes about Riker making pizza from the Picard guest appearance? Yes, I have. Yeah. They're they're really good. Yeah. They're really good. What, Do you remember the name of those like creatures they were hunting? on that planet oh, uh, no i'm not a clue there's like an amazing one where it's like they there's an early like season maybe two episode of next generation where riker is explaining to a carnivorous alien that the all the meat they eat is synthetic and created in a replicator because you know they don't believe in abusing animals for food yeah and then someone's like asking him about that scene and he was like, well, that was before I tried these little creatures on this planet. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's a good meme. It's a good meme. Yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, animal rights are important, though, folks. In fact, we find it's <laughs> fucked up. I, I, will, I, I will say that, too, obviously. Obviously. Yeah. What, uh, what else struck, at, struck you about Defiant, Matt? Uh, I mean, it was, it was okay. I mean, I'm not going to say it's like one of the best DS9 episodes that we've watched so far, but I appreciated the guest appearance. That occasional guest appearance is okay. Did you recognize uh, the Trisha O'Neill speaking of guest appearances? Uh, no. Who, who was she? So she plays the Obsidian Order operative, and she's also had some other minor Babylon 5 and Star Trek roles, but I think the coolest one is... Um, if you remember the yesterday's Enterprise episode, oh, of Next she Generation, was, yeah, she was the captain, right? Yeah, yeah, she's Captain okay. Garrett of the Enterprise yeah. C. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, that's both my boy Alan and I really, really uh, think the C is a pretty ship, and she seems like an awesome captain. We would really like to see more of her. I'm sure there's like a hundred novels about it. So, I don't think there's a hundred, but I think there are a couple. No. And so this this episode also was kind of an interesting callback to our our lost episode where O'Brien had to face the Cardassian justice system. So we have kind of Cisco kind of preemptively, you know, being Tom Riker's defense attorney, which was somewhat interesting. All right, Matt. So I have a really important question for you. Yeah. All right. So we, we have a lot of fatherhood in these two episodes, a lot of fatherhood. So we can assume, I think that Cisco is the best father, but between Ducat and Bester, Who's the worst father? So between Ducat and Bester, who's the worst father? Uh, I mean, I don't know enough about Bester. I mean, we know he take we know he takes his uh, daughter out for picnics with his wife. Yeah, I mean he he just he just has a job to do during the day, 
and it involves him, you know, doing interrogating people to their death. But Duke, I'm gonna go with Ducat. Yeah, I mean, because we do actually see what happens to one of Ducat's children, and right. it's not pretty. It's right. not pretty. <laughs> so let, let's let's say Ducat's the worst father. I I do think though, like Ducat's probably the worst father. But I do think, like, when Ducat's home, Ducat's home. He's all in on being home, being a father. Whereas I think Buster is always going to be tormented by the shadow of the fact that he doesn't actually want to be with this psychor, this woman that the psychor matched him with for telepath breeding purposes. Right. And so I think that's always, you know, like, Ducat's more likely to get you killed as your father, but he's also a better time at parties. And if you're interested in telepath breeding just wait for the next e, episode e, grim grim <laughs> all right so uh let's uh pivot over to econ watch matt what did you think about uh captain sheridan's uh bold and courageous stand against uh the rent being imposed on him i mean rent's expensive even on the space station i mean you can't just dare we say it's too damn high yeah it's too damn high it's way be expensive okay now, Sheridan, I don't understand. Sheridan works on the station, so and he lives rent-free. The issue is more of that he wants a better cabin than just the, I guess, the other... Do the other people live in smaller cabins? No, no, the issue is that the cabin he and Ivanova have always had, or the cabins that he and Ivanova have always had, are bigger than is the normal allotment. Yeah. And so now EarthGov wants them to pay rent for the on the extra space, not for the whole cabin. Just the extra, the space. extra space. Yes. Okay. Yes. So here's my question. If they're not gonna pay rent, that means they're gonna move them out, correct? They're gonna have yes. to be they're gonna be evicted and move to one where they don't that has the less space. So who yes. is then going to inhabit those larger cabins? They rent out the cabins, right? Like, we ca we kind of saw that in that, I think, the Knights episode of season one, right? Where the two guys come to the station and strap Sinclair into the virtual reality sex chair. Yeah, but here's here's the problem. Here Here's the big problem. Uh-huh. I have looked in that uh, that RPG book, uh -huh. and I have maps of all that stuff. You do? And I'll tell you, yeah, there are maps, and there is one or two floors dedicated only to military personnel in their cabins so whoever is going to get that more expensive cabin would also have to be someone who is part of earth force so they'd have to be willing to pay the 30 credits as well so they could have gone with like garibaldi being like hey i want a bigger cabin and like he goes and he like pays it, <laughs> it takes over i actually kind of would like that like garibaldi like hosting a lot of dinners in sheridan's old cabin yeah. and kind of unintentionally like really rubbing it in that would have been really fun actually. exactly yeah so i'm just saying like it's not like you know delin or somebody's going to move into the bigger cabin it's going to it's going to have to be a military like or some part of the earth force i mean i guess with his position on the station i guess he deserves that should be one of the like luxuries of his job yeah position. i feel I feel like if EarthGov wanted to charge him for the extra space, they should have started from the beginning. Right. And maybe he would have been amenable to that or maybe not. But I, I feel like you can't just kind of, you know, in the middle be like, yeah, actually you owe us 30 credits a week. Yeah. I mean, I just thought like that should be, what is the word I'm for? Like an incentive for the job or just like a perk, they, maybe. Per, a perk, yeah. A perk of the job. Yeah. 
All right. So I think it's a kind of unusual situation, but we pretty much have a wholly positive thirst watch this week, don't we? Oh, yeah. We got Delenn and Sheridan going out on a date, and she's turning those eyes. Yeah, but... she's looking good in that uh, dress. And, you know, you got, uh, you got Tom and Kira, you know, alternating between flirting and debating how to be an effective terrorist. Yeah. I thought that was pretty hot. I, I liked both. Yeah. Nobody, nobody's being creepy. Garibaldi's keeping it in his pants. It's a, it's a good episode. A good pair of episodes. It only would have been better had it been Delenn and Sinclair. Would it have been better, though? The, the misplot, they, they just they lost out. I, but would it have been better? I don't know. It could have been. Who knows? I I kind of think... I like, I like uh, the guy who played Sinclair, and I think he does a lot of stuff well. I think Sheridan has a little bit more range for romance than the guy playing Sinclair, though. Like, think... How, how good was the Catherine stuff? Like, really? Uh, that was pretty bad. But... Yeah, not, not great. Not great. It just wasn't with the right woman, Bob. It just wasn't that chemistry he could have had to with Delenn. We're moving on to the, our character of the week. Character Who's your character of the, of the week? My favorite character this week was Talia. We'll go with Talia. Oh, man. You're, you're, you're departing from the notes, man. I am. I'm departing was from it the our notes. conversation about what a bad father Bester is likely to be? Is that what kind of won you off of it? Yeah, yeah. We'll go with we'll go with Talia. She, this was an episode she actually got some... Some interesting screen time. I have. I don't think either of us have ever picked Winters as our character of the week, no, have we? No, that's why we're going to go no. off. We're going to go out and say this is probably one of the better Winters episodes out of the oh. the, tri- the trilogy of Winters episodes. Will be we've been watching last week. We had a winter centric episode. This week we have a Winters centric episode, and next week Winters will play a pretty pivotal role. I, so I would say last week I um, I didn't dislike that Winters episode, but I I wouldn't say I was a huge fan. Yeah. This is the this is the this is the best of the three that we're gonna watch. That's oh boy, on oh boy. So. Yeah, for me, I, I was tempted to say a tie between Kira and Tom Riker, but because I think they are kind of both essential for their flirting and for their great debate about how to best be a terrorist. Uh, I guess I would give edge it to Tom Riker just because you know he's he's the guest, and I kind of like the privileged guest in the character of the week segment. But yeah, Kira, Kira and Tom both had great a great week. What was your uh, episode of the week, Matt? Episode of the week goes to De- goes to Defiant. Defiant Hell yeah, baby! Good episode, fun episode. Yeah. there's a lot to like about Run Through Dark Places, but for some reason it doesn't cohere for me that well. Whereas Defiant, it coheres very well. I think. If you want to watch a standalone episode just for like you know because you want to watch something entertaining, go with Defiant. Definitely, definitely. All right, then. So we've covered uh, Race Through Dark Places versus Defiant. Uh, what are we moving on to next week, Matt? Next week, this okay, last week I made the mistake of saying Soulmates was next, but this week Soulmates is actually next, I promise. it's That's the Babylon 5 episode. Because uh, Bob apparently does things in uh, JMS order and not in like actual order that the internet likes to use. Hey, the internet likes JMS, except for when it doesn't. Fascination, Season 3, Episode 10. Ironically, both are more or less the mid-season finales for both uh, shows, although you, you shouldn't read too much into that. I don't, I don't think either is much of a cliffhanger or much of a finale. Reading the synopsis, Bob, Luxana Troy shows back up again. Oh, hell yeah. It's the, it's the third season Luxana episode. Hell yeah. Bajoran Gratitude Festival. 
Hell yeah. I can already tell you what the better episode between it and Soulmates is. Sorry, JMS. It's definitely Fascination. Okay. All right, then. Fuck yes. I am stoked about this. All right. All right. Well, this has been Babylon 5 versus DS9, the great podcast about the two great 90s space station shows. I am Bob in Cascadia. That is Matt in the Southland, who's ready to go. And we will see you next time, everybody. Have a good one. Thanks for listening.